audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in the Gospel of Luke. For more audio or information about our church, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, I want to start us off with a question to get our, our brains working. All right. Uh, here it is. I know it's early. It's not even that early anymore, so I don't even give you that anymore. Um, but here's the question. Do you have an enemy? Do you have an enemy? Do you have someone in your life that you would say, now that is my enemy? I guess a better question before we answer that is how do you define enemy? How would you define an enemy in, in your life? So uh, earlier this week, I was, we have kind of our family worship, family devotion with my, with my boys, and, and there was one night this week that, that I, by the way, I do this often, but I, I'll, I'll run my sermon by my boys and here's the deal. I do this for a reason, because I find if I can simplify it enough in my mind to communicate it to a five-year-old, I probably understand the text pretty well. So I do this. I mean, throughout the, throughout the month, I'll, I'll do this a handful of weeks. And so this week, I asked him, I said, boys, what, what is an enemy? Their response was someone who fights you, someone with a sword or a gun most of the time, and then it kind of went... With a mask, stormtroopers, and then they, they got up and they started, you know, demonstrating to me what it looked like. <laughs> Family worship's fun. Um, I realized something, though, on a battlefield in Star Wars, uh, in a comic book, enemies are really easy to pick out. They're the, they're the evil dudes that are monologuing, or they're the guy with the mask over in the corner. Like, they're easy to to identify. They're, they're easy to spot. Uh, however, in our life, they're not often that easy. Unless you are someone with enemies that actually do wear masks. In that case, you live a far more interesting life than I do. Uh, but our enemies are, are typically a little harder to pinpoint, a little harder to, to identify. Um, but here's the deal. We're about to look at a text that Jesus is going to tell us explicitly, love your enemies. That text means nothing if we don't know who they are, if we don't know what they are. If we're confused like on what, it is, what an enemy is, then this text, it's going to be very, very hard to love them. It's going to be very, very difficult to actually come through with what Jesus is, is talking about here. If you have your Bibles... You can go ahead and find your place with me. We're going to be in Luke 6. Luke 6, we're going to start in verse 20, 27. Uh, as you get there, you're going to notice something. We're dropping midway into one of Jesus' sermons. So, so we're dropping kind of right smack in the middle. We're actually picking up right where we left off uh, last week. And it is really important to understand the context if we're going to understand this, this passage. So, so we, in fact, look at verse 27. It says, but I say to you who hear. So let's just stop there. First word, but. Now, whenever anything starts with that, it should be a cue to you to say, but what? Like if I sent you a text message that says, but what about this? You would be confused. You would think that I'm, 
sent a wrong text message. What it does, for all of you English people, it's a conjunction. It's supposed to pit something against. It's supposed to show contrast. So our first word here, but, it should drive us to consider what comes before. So just in way of review to get us kind of where we need to be for this text, if we look back, um, Jesus, in verse 20, looks up his, lifts his eyes on his disciples, looks them dead in the eyes, and says, you are blessed when you are poor. You are blessed when you are hungry. You are blessed when you weep. You are blessed when people hate you, revile you, ignore you, call you evil on account of Jesus Christ. You are blessed because this is not the end. Yours is eternity. You are blessed. And at the same time, he issues a warning to them. If they pursue riches, if they pursue satisfaction, leisure, social acceptance over the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, when you sacrifice the truth of the gospel in order not to make enemies, Jesus says, woe to you, woe to you. Then in our text, he says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. So in this context, who, what is our enemy? What is your enemy? The truth is, is that Jesus does not have stormtroopers in mind. He doesn't have mass ninjas. He doesn't even have the, you know, the, the evil Roman Empire, although that's a part of it. Um, no, Jesus is referring to those specifically who hate you, insult you, um, come against you, maybe even attack you on account of the gospel. When people come against you because your stance, your belief, your walk with Jesus, and they, they come against you, Jesus says, Love your enemy. That's who Jesus has in mind in this text. He's not referring Democrats to Republicans. He's not referring to a really difficult coworker that you have. He's not referring to uh, maybe a child in your house that you think he is the enemy right now. Like He's not referring to that here. He's talking about when someone comes against you, hates you on account of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Love your enemy. So church, let me ask the question again before we get into this. Do you have an enemy? Do you have an enemy? Like we talked about last week, I'm not talking about people who don't like you because you're a jerk. I'm not talking about people who hate you because of you, okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who, because of your walk, your stance on God's word, they come against you, they hate you. Do you have an enemy? An enemy. If not, if if so, who? And if not, why? So let's chew on that as we look at this text, uh, verse twenty-seven again. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. And then Jesus adds, do good to those who hate you. Jesus adds here, do good to those who hate you. He says, love is active. Love is active. It's not just feel less hostility toward them. It's not hate them less. It's love them, and love them. loving them has action. He says doing good to them. It involves action. So he says love them, love them actively, love them through your action. Then he adds, verse 28, bless those who curse you. So now Jesus moves from not only actions, but now to words. So he says, bless them, speak well of them publicly, not passive-aggressively, 
but speak well of them. I don't know about you, that's the last thing I want to do to an enemy. And Jesus says, speak well of them. So love them, love them through action, love them through word. Not only that, verse 28, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. So uh, Jesus moves from actions and words on a very, on a very uh, human level, and he, and he now moves to not only love them through your action, through your words, but now Jesus says through your prayers. And I feel like I need to put a little footnote again. This isn't the kind of prayers you're like, God, give them fever. <laughs> Let them lose their job. That's not, that's not what is in. These are legitimate prayers on their behalf because you care because you want their heart to be opened up, because you care for them, that they would be able to see the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, to those who hate you on account of me, to those who come against you, to those who insult you, to those who harm you on my account, love them. Love them through your actions. Love them through your words. Love them through your prayers. Love them. And before we move on, keep, keep in mind how profound that would be for this audience hearing him, for these disciples. They just saw Jesus, uh, they just saw him, uh, an attempted murder on him. They've seen the conflict already starting to kind of brew, and they're, they're looking at that, and they're saying, what is this? What, what do we do? What do we do? Jesus looks them in the eyes and says, love them through action, through word, through prayer, Love them. Now, what does that look like? What does that look like lived out? Church, I'm really glad that you have asked that question because Jesus now is going to give us some examples that, that specifically show, highlight how this is accomplished, what this looks like. Listen to this, verse 29. To one who strikes you on the cheek... Offer the other also. So this is the first example of love here. Um, let me just pause right off the bat. Um, this is not a suggestion that we return to continual abuse. Okay? That's not love. That's, that's foolish. Um, that's not what's in, it, what is, is in view here. Um, that's not what love is. So in this context, striking the cheek it's not, it's not a reference to an abusive punch. It's not like a right jab to the face. That's not what is in, in, in mind here. Um, the word used for cheek, plus this is a commonly exp uh, used expression, it, it's, um, it's a backhand. It's like one of those embarrassing, like, how dare you, backhands. Like, it's, it's, it's supposed to be an insult. Uh, in fact, many people call this, and I like this, the ancient slap. It's cool, I'm gonna use that. Not the slap, um, but the ancient slap. And so here's what's in view here, is it's not to you know, hurt them, it's to publicly humiliate them. It's to publicly insult them. Um, that's what's in view here. And Jesus says, um, when they strike you on the cheek, offer the other also. The call here is to show love for them, to bring to them this message, even though you know that you are rejected, you are hurt, maybe you've been wronged. Here, here's when you're publicly insulted. Love does not turn around and say, not worth it. 
Love is not, not only is it just not defending yourself, not only is it just offering forgiveness, but love is willing to turn around a second time and offer help, even though the last time you got a backhand. Love says they are worth it. Love stands on the truth and allows yourself to be vulnerable to insult. That is love. That is loving your enemy. Because remember, as Jesus told us last week, when this happens, you are blessed. You are blessed. It'll be worth it. So to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And then Jesus gives a second example. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. So this is robbery, right? That's what's in view here. I don't know if any of you have been robbed. It's a pretty helpless feeling, right? You feel that's not a good place to be. This is robbery here. And here in this text, Jesus says, love does not only not seek revenge. Love does, does not only forgive. But again, love is willing to return a second time. Love is willing to return a second time and still offer help because love says they are worth it. Your enemy is worth that for the sake of the gospel. So in other words, mission work doesn't stop just because there is a chance that the mission worker might get jumped, right? It doesn't stop because they are, they are worth it. There's nothing we have that should be worth more value than the soul of another person even if that other person is your enemy. There's nothing worth more value. Um, there's nothing that should keep us from stepping in on account of the gospel. Listen to this, third example, verse 30. Give to everyone who begs for, from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. That's crazy talk. That's just terrible business practice at this point, right? Um, is there any justice at all in this? Is there any retribution for the wrong here? I, I mean, I ask that. Is there any justice in that? And hear me, the, the entire message, um, I think this is the key to understanding this entire passage, that the world system the world's um, wisdom, the, the world's ethics must be surpassed in order for this to make any sense at all. Here's what I mean by that. Um, if this is all that there is, if this is all that we've got, if this is it, then that is foolish. It makes no sense. If this is all there is, what this would do is put us in a place where we are perpetually victims, where we are, we are getting beaten, where our clothes are getting taken, um, we're given to everyone, we're being, I mean, we're just letting go of our stuff as it's being stolen. Like, this is the life that it paints. If this was it, this makes no sense. This makes absolutely no sense. Would you give this advice to your children? Just go out there and let them have at you. No, 
It's crazy. It, this is crazy, and you need to see that, how crazy it is. If you look at this through the world's eyes, it, this is absolutely crazy. The only way that this makes sense, the only way that these examples, any of them, ring true, the only way is if we believe what God said about our future. The only way that makes sense is that we believe what he said, that he will reward the faithful in Jesus Christ and that he is just. That's the only way this, this makes sense. It's the only way. This is not all there is. In fact, I would, I would wager a bet that, that if we took an inventory of the things that are stressing us and causing us anxiety in life right now, today, we wrote them out, they wouldn't be a blip on the radar in a month. Certainly not in a year. Certainly not in 10 years. This is fleeting. Our lives are so small in light of God's bigger picture. And if we don't see that, this makes no sense. If we don't see that, if we don't if we don't understand that God sees us, cares for us, cares about the way we live and that our future, our reward is eternal through Jesus Christ, if we don't see that, if we don't believe that, then living this way is foolish because each one of these examples force us to see things through a kingdom perspective. Each one of them drive us. This is why in these texts we don't fight to defend ourselves. We don't give ourselves over to discouragement we stand on the fact that our God sees, our God cares, our God is just, and we believe what he said about us and our future is true. If we believe that, then living this way, standing on eternity makes sense. Again, without Christ, this is crazy talk, though. Without Christ, it makes no sense. So church, we love our enemies. We stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We stand on it. And to those who hate us, to insult us, if you get publicly backhanded, right, if that happens to you, all of these things, what do we do? We do good for them. We love them through word, through, through action, and we pray for them, and we let nothing, no fear of insult or theft or being taken advantage of, we let nothing get in the way of our heart for them that they would come to know the truth of the gospel. We let nothing get in the way of that. Listen to this. Jesus adds, verse 31, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Golden rule, right? This single sentence, I think, summarizes everything up. Um, Jesus encourages them, and I want to encourage you to do this. Put yourself in your enemy's shoes. Put yourself in your enemy's shoes. You're lost. Maybe you're a little hostile toward the gospel. Put yourself in their shoes, in, in need of the love, in need of the hope that you have found. And Jesus says, if that were you, Knowing what you now know, if that were you, what would you want them to do for you? What would you want them to do for you? Would you want them to give up on you? Would you want them to fight you? Would you want them to ignore you? No. Would you want them, however, to pursue you, to love you, to forgive you, to do good for you, to pray for you? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, 
Yes, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Church, if you were lost this morning, if you were hostile toward the gospel, in deep need of Jesus Christ, even though you didn't even realize it, if that were you, if you were in those shoes, what would you hope that the church would do for you? What would you hope that people of the church would do for you? How would you hope that they would reach out to you? And a better question is, are you doing that for them? Are you doing that for them as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them? Are you doing for them what you would hope would be done for you? Put yourself in their shoes, church, and live your life on that mission. If you can answer that and say, yes, that's quite a mission to be on for Jesus Christ. Um, could that mean that you get rejected from time to time? Yes. Insulted? Yes. Um, hurt? Yes. Ancient slapped? Maybe, right? But they're worth it. They are worth it. Your reward is eternal. They are worth it. And so we press on. We press on. And now, Jesus is going to continue to drive this down. Um, he's going to um, shift our gears a little bit. And, and church, um, okay, if we see what Jesus is about to say in this text, if we, if we wrap our minds around the implications of it, um, you will never be the same. I truly worry about you. If you can hear what we are about to say and walk out of this room unaffected, you're either asleep, sorry if that's the case, a robot, or you're closed off because it does not get any better than what we are about to talk about. And I'm not even worried about overselling it. It cannot be oversold. It, it, it just can't. Um, so buckle up. All right, good news is coming. Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Right, so right now he's just describing what we talked about, the world's wisdom, right? He's describing this picture. We give, the world says, give if you're gonna get something in return. Uh, do good to those you like, right? That's the world's system. Um, but wow, got to get turned on its head. Listen to this, verse 35. But love your enemies, same command, and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So love is not centered, right, on what it gets in return. Love is not centered on that. Instead, we are called to show love not only to those we like, but to the um, unlovables, right? 
we're, we're called to show them love. Now, why on earth would God call us to such a crazy thing? Turn with me to Romans 5. You can keep your, your place here. It's three books to your right. We're going to be in Romans uh, chapter 5. I, I want to I read this, and, and I want us to consider this question. Why on earth would God call us to live this way? Why would he do it? Why should we do this? Romans 5, follow with me. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not, o- not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Remember, we talked about last week the blessing of hunger and poverty. We rejoice in those sufferings. Listen, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into the hearts, to our hearts, through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. That's encouraging, but listen to this. Remember, why should we live like this? That's the question. Why should we live like this? Verse six, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare, to e- dare even to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Listen to this, verse 10. For if while we were what? Enemies. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we are also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So church, why should we love our enemies? Why should we live like this? Because praise God, God loved his enemies. Praise God that He loved his enemies, including church you. Praise God that he died for me while I was still a sinner. Praise God that he died for you while you were his enemy. In other words, Jesus demonstrated his ultimate example of loving his enemy when he loved you. And why do his followers live this way? Because of the gospel. That's why. Because of the gospel. We love our enemies because God loved his. You being among them. We love our enemies because our God loved his enemies, including you and me. We've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We've been given the joy of the ministry of reconciliation to others. Um, We love our enemies. Because we remember, church, we were once his enemy as well. We were once, and he didn't leave us, ignore us, annihilate us. He didn't do any of that. Instead, he died for us. Instead, he demonstrated his great love by his death. 
Now, this reminds me, you don't have to turn with me, but it reminds me of a, of a parable that I just want to share with you in Matthew 18. Um, there, was this, um, there was this king who was settling his accounts with his servants, and he found one of his servants uh, had gotten a little out of control financially, had an incredible amount of debt, just over his head, you're not coming back from this kind of debt. That was him. So he calls him in, and, and, he, and he orders him to pay. The servant obviously cannot pay, cannot for the life of him pay. And so the king says, well, take him away, take his family, take his kids, take everything he owns so this debt can be paid. This man was going to lose everything, everything. This man was going to lose it all. So the servant, who is absolutely broken, as you and I would be, um, absolutely broken, fearful, comes before the king, drops to his knees, and pleads for mercy. Pleads for mercy. God, would you, or king, would you have mercy on, on me? Would you have mercy? I cannot pay this debt. And the king takes pity on him, has patience with him, takes pity on him, uh, showed him an unbelievable amount of mercy and grace. And not only did he forgive or release the servant from you know, losing everything, but he forgave the debt. How'd you like to be that servant? The king responds, it's unbelievable, from death row to new life, and this is when the parable gets weird. Because this, this servant gets up off the ground, goes outside, and he finds another servant who happens to owe him a hundred bucks. And he goes to that servant, and, and, and the text says that he, he grabs him and starts choking him. That's awesome. Um, demanding that he pay immediately, pay this immediately. Uh, the servant that owes him a hundred dollars falls to the ground. Scene looks a little familiar, right? Falls to the ground, starts pleading, would you have mercy? Would you show me grace? Please, I can't do this. Please. And the servant looks at him and says, no. Has the man, has the servant thrown into prison, debtor's prison. Um, that's ridiculous. But listen to this. Uh, the word gets back to the king about what just happened. And listen to the king's words. You wicked servant. Could have said a lot more about this man. You wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant? As I have had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So let me be honest. This is why this text has wrecked me this week. Um, I'm that servant. You are that servant. You are that servant. Romans tells us you are that service. You servant. You were once enemies of God. Though you were sinners, you had a debt you could never pay. And while you were swimming in that debt, while you were an enemy, Jesus died for you. Not only... Um, forgiving your debt, but paying it in full with his own life. You are that servant. 
In fact, you have been forgiven of far more. And yet, how often do we do the exact same thing that this servant did? We, we who are forgiven much just can't seem to get ourselves to forgive. We just can't do it. We've been shown so much grace that we can't even extend a portion of it to someone in, in our life. Um, I asked earlier, you know, why do we live like this? Because of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Now we have the privilege of being a part of that reconciliation with others. Those who understand that you are forgiven, forgive. Those who understand the grace that has been shown, show grace. Uh, Those who understand what it feels like to be on your knees pleading for mercy and get it, those who truly understand that will give mercy. We live like this because of the gospel. The gospel is our answer. The gospel is our our answer. And the only way that it is possible for us to live this way with this kind of kingdom perspective is if we are diligent and daily reminding ourselves. Notice I said daily, hourly. We are prone to forget. Prone to forget. If you're waiting for Sunday for, for you to be reminded of the good news of the gospel, I guarantee you will have forgotten it by Tuesday. But we remind ourselves daily the gospel is our motive, our fuel, our everything. The gospel says, You who were once enemies are now friends. The gospel says that you are reconciled and now you are sent out to be a part of bringing that reconciliation to others in your community. The gospel says, Love your enemies because God loved his. You being chief among them. That's what the gospel says. As we look at this text, as we close, I I want to just take a couple takeaways. Just a, a a couple quick takeaways for us this morning. One, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Romans, uh, Paul says in Romans, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Um, let me just let you in. You don't have to worry about the whole loving your enemies thing if you constantly are ashamed and, and, and not de- declaring the gospel because you won't have any. You're never gonna have an enemy if you refuse to stand on the gospel. And so we, if, you, if we bend our message so that it's a little bit easier for our community to swallow, for the sake of not having enemies in our community, if we do that, if we're ashamed of our full and complete and true gospel, you'll never have to worry about loving your enemies. And that's not a good thing. You are a messenger of his message, and you have no right to modify. Um, Remember, in in verse 22 in Luke, it said, Blessed are you when people hate you, exclude you, revile you, spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. 
your reward will be great. They did this to the prophets that came before you. And then remember, he says, woe to you when all the people speak well of you. For they did that too to the false prophets. We are not ashamed of the gospel because it is life and never changing. Number two, um, don't forget our mission. We can go the other way with this because we can, we can kind of start to believe that, that our mission is to make enemies. It's not. Your mission is to make disciples, not enemies. Your, your, your mission is to make disciples. And when you see people who rise up who are adamantly against the gospel, coming against you as the gospel messenger, your heart should break. Your heart should break, but you should never um, sacrifice the gospel message. And, and more than that, we don't seek it out. We don't, you should never feel this, yes, I'm hated. Right? I shouldn't even have to say that, but, but we shouldn't. It shouldn't be a pat on our back. It should break our heart. It should break our heart. Our mission is to make disciples. Our heart should be that all should hear all should hear the good news and, and come to repentance. Our goal is making disciples. Let me add to this a little bit. Um, third, don't misunderstand success and failure. This is really important. Uh, our goal, right, make disciples. Our goal is to make disciples. The opposite of making a disciple is not making an enemy. Like, if success is making a disciple, failure is not making an enemy. Success is making a disciple, and failure is silence. Failure is compromise. That's failure. Don't misunderstand and think that when you see an enemy rise up, that it's a failure, church. It's not a failure. Um, the, the reality is, is you, uh, as much as you might want to have this kind of power and control, cannot control their response. When you share the gospel, some will hear and respond in faith, praise God. Other times, you will share that same gospel, and they will hear it and reject it. That's not failure. You're going to be held responsible not based on their response, but on your obedience. That's success. That's success. Um, success is that we share our message. You are, you are stewards of a message. You're gonna be held accountable for that. You're not gonna be held accountable for how many come to faith. That's not your job. Praise God it's not your job. You're the messenger. Um, so we're not ashamed of the gospel. We don't forget our mission. We don't mistake failure and success. Lastly, start where you are. The command this morning is to love your enemies, and that is so messy. That is so messy. I, I, know, I know many people in this room who have people in your life who, because of the gospel, there's a strain in a relationship. Uh, for some of you in this room, I know that it's even family, that there's a sever in your relationship because of, on account of the gospel. When you hear a message like this, you think the last thing I want to do is throw another theology grenade into that mix. The last thing I want to do is add more strife. The last thing I want to do is separate us more. And this is really a difficult 
passage to think about. And, and here's what I want to encourage you. Start where, right where you are. Be praying right now. God, what is my next step? What is my next step? Sure, I want them to come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's, I wanna share that message. But, but, but right now, what is my next step? Is it a phone call just to let them know that you love them? Is it a text message? Is it just taking them out to lunch? What is the next step? How can you love them? How can you do for them what you would want them to do for you? For those of you who are in that place this morning, start where you are and pray that God would show you the next step. Um, Our text today ends, um, ends with this, and I think it's a good punctuation mark for us to, for, to finish our time. Uh, verse 36, be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your mercy, for your grace, for taking us who are once your enemies And giving up your son, we thank you for Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us while we were still sinners. You, God, you sent your son to die for us, that we can be yours, that we can be loved, that we can be called a friend of God. God, thank you for that. And help that to just overwhelm our thoughts and our minds and let it overflow in the way that we treat others. Help us to love our enemies. Help us to to love them and to love them well in word and action and in prayer that we love them well, that we treat them the way that, that, that we would want them to treat us. Help us to do that, God. And right now, I just pray specifically for those in this room who are wondering, um, not only who is my enemy, but what is my next step, I pray that you bring clarity, that you bring clarity around what that next step is. And it's for your glory, not our own that all would see and all would come to know the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to be ambassadors of that message. In your son's name, amen.